You're listening to teaching from Castle Hills Christian Church in San Antonio, Texas. More information about Castle Hills Christian Church is available at chccsa.com. We're going to continue our series today on the countdown to Calvary, and we're going to look at um, the garden and Jesus' arrest. This happens in Mark chapter 14, uh, starting in verse 27, if you want to follow along. So today, I'm going to make a selfless plug for checking out the Sunday school classes that we have. Uh, We've been studying uh, the gospel of Mark in my Sunday school class, and uh, uh, it's been really, really insightful to understand the big picture of what's happening in the gospel. We also have a couple other classes at the church, a ladies' class and a men's class. Uh, and I understand uh, just talking to other people that just uh, it's it's a powerful time to focus in on God's word and be challenged and grow in your rela- uh, relationship with God and with other people uh, here at the church. So check it out. So things I have learned from Sunday school about the Gospel of Mark. Um, so it's written by. Mark or John Mark. But interestingly enough, um, he was not a disciple of Jesus and he wasn't an eyewitness of uh, Jesus and his ministry. Instead, he heard the account about Christ through Peter. Peter and Mark or John Mark went on a missionary journey together. So a lot of what you hear in the gospel um, is the gospel account from Peter's perspective. Another thing that's really interesting to me is you look at the four different gospels they don't always include the same details, or they don't always include all the same stories. Uh, But the author of Mark is very organized and systematic about the points that he's making. And so the parables and the encounters and the different parts of Jesus' ministry that he picks to choose all all have to do with a bigger theme of what um, uh, the gospel author is trying to portray. And so uh, along the way in Mark's gospel, a lot of what he talks about um, has to do with how he's teaching his own disciples. And it's answering two questions through the gospel of Mark. For the first one is, is who is Jesus? And the second is what kind of Messiah is Jesus going to be? About halfway through the gospel, um, Jesus actually asked Peter this question directly. Who do you say I am? And he says, you are a Messiah. In the second half of the gospel, he, uh, he challenges Peter to figure out what kind of Messiah Jesus is. And you'll see that culminate uh, today in the Garden of Gethsemane. So there's these two arcs. There's the gospel story that's going on. And there's this character development and teaching of Peter about the revelation of who Jesus the Christ is. So if you look at this from Jesus' perspective uh, in the story of the the gospel story, um, it's about rejection and the humanity of Christ that's displayed, I think, here in this passage more than it is at any other point in the gospel account. So, um, and this is is rough. We think sometimes that because Jesus is God, that what he did at the cross was easy. But this is where the humanity is in full display. And this whole part of the passage of the, of the gospel account going forward is just about 
rejection and heartache for Jesus, and you can see his humanity um, in this. Uh, at first, it, he predicts his best, one of his best uh, inner circle of friends is going to reject him. Then he takes that, that larger inner circle to the garden to pray, and they can't stay committed to him, uh, and uh, uh, knowing that they're all going to run away from him. Um, he's arrested, uh, the justice system fails him, and the religious establishment uh, judges him, and uh, uh, it doesn't have his back either. Uh, it's complete another rejection by his friends, uh, the religious leaders, and the justice system of his day. The arc of Peter's story through this passage is this challenge, again, that second question, uh, the first being, who is Jesus? And the second is, what kind of Messiah is Jesus? So uh, Peter's denial is predicted. Uh, and Peter and Peter says, no, not me. <laughs> that can't possibly happen. Uh, that he, and he claims to have this strong faith. Uh, and then in the garden, though, that's juxtaposed to the fact he can't even stay awake for one hour uh, to support Jesus in prayer and to be with him uh, right before he's arrested at this critical time. Uh, and, then, and then when uh, Jesus is arrested, we see how Peter responds, and we'll look at that closely. So looking at verse 27, Peter's denial. So Jesus says unto him and, and the other disciples, you will all fall away, for it's written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will all be scattered. Um, and Peter, Peter at this point, he's like, no, ha, not me. Even if everybody else here falls away, I'm not gonna fall away, not me, Lord. And Jesus says, yeah, yeah, you will. Later tonight, the, roaster's, the rooster's gonna crow twice and you have disowned me three times by then. Uh, and Peter just continues to insist. It says emphatically, uh, he says, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. Uh, and all the others said the same thing. Uh, and here, here's, here's the irony of this. He has this confidence um, going into, in, into this, uh, the, the night uh, of Jesus' arrest about his own faith. Uh, and we're going to compare that and look at where Jesus is uh, as he's going into this challenge. So if you look at verse 32 in the Garden of Gethsemane, they went to this place called Gethsemane, and Jesus says to the disciples, he says, sit here uh, while I'm praying. So Peter, James, and John come along with him. Uh, and it says Jesus began to be deeply distressed and troubled. And it goes on to say in verse 34, that his soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Uh, and he asked them to stay here with him uh, and keep watch because he knows what's coming. And so this is so opposite from where Peter's at with his confidence, uh, uh, emphatically uh, claiming that he's gonna stay uh, to the end, uh, where Christ approaches the cross and he's overwhelmed uh, and uh, troubled uh, filled with sorrow um, to the point of death. And I, knowing what's going to happen, um, if that was possible to know the agony that's ahead, uh, as it is with him, his, his, this is the challenge of being both fully, fully God and, and fully man. He knows what's coming, uh, but he has to suffer it as a man. And uh, um, it reminds me of the humanity that Christ knows how we suffer and he uh, is empathetic to us. Um, and it's, and it's very powerful. Um, but counter to Peter, uh, who's confident in himself, um, Christ is confident in God instead. He's turning to his Father uh, for his strength instead of himself. So Jesus goes further into the garden. He falls, uh, falls into prayer, uh, and he, says, he prays this way, Abba, Father, which means uh, Daddy. 
uh, which which is so such an intimate term to call the Father, and it just portrays the deep interdependence that Jesus has uh, with God. Um, and he goes as far as to say, like, God, you, you have power. Everything is possible for you. You can take this cup from me. Um, he, he, he's scared to do this. Um, the rejection that he's, that he's encountered already, that he knows is coming, uh, and I think the deepest rejection of all, which is separation from his father uh, when he's at the cross, um, he has this, has this, you know, God can take it away. He can do it, in, um, that there might be a possible, another possible way to do this. But in the end, he says something profound. It's not what I will, but what you will, Lord. Um, and uh, that's his attitude headed to the cross, uh, that, of, that of submission um, to the priorities and the concerns of God and not the easy road. So, again, this is interesting. You see the arcs of these two stories, Jesus and Peter. Jesus is not near as confident as Peter. He's distressed. He's overwhelmed. He, asks, he goes as far to ask God to find another way to do this. Um, I think it's also interesting when he goes into the garden to pray with them. Like, does he really need the disciples to keep, keep watch? Like, he knows what's going to happen. They're going to come when they're going to come. He probably knows when they're going to come. I think he's trying to challenge his disciples um, to grow. And this happens all through the gospel of Mark. It's really interesting. So back in Mark chapter eight, um, Jesus feeds a group of 4,000 people. This is the second time he's fed a large group of people. Uh, and both times uh, the disciples are perplexed uh, and amazed that he was able to feed all these people uh, and they didn't see it coming. And this is after Jesus has done a lot of other miracles. Uh, and it's really ironic. After he feeds the, the, the large crowd the second time, they get in a boat together. And uh, uh, lo and behold, the disciples had only brought one loaf of bread with them. Now, if I was going to go row across a lake um, for, an, for a day, uh, and I, I would probably want some calories with me, and I would be a little distressed if I only had one loaf of bread. Um, but if I was with Jesus, I would like to think that, uh, oh, I just saw him feed uh, 4,000 people with a, uh, a handful of loaves of bread, and uh, I think he's got this. But the disciples, they just, they just don't get it along the way. Uh, and Jesus is using all of these circumstances. Yes, he's compassionate about the crowd. He wants to meet their physical needs, uh, as well as, more importantly, their spiritual needs teach them, uh, but he's also the whole way through the gospel uh, using these circumstances to teach his disciples. And this is what happening, I believe, in the garden uh, as well. Um, so uh, we, continue, we continue in the garden. This is the first time he went away to pray. He comes back um, to, to his disciples and he finds them sleeping. He says in verse 37, Simon says to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for just one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He goes on again and he pray, says he prays the same thing. And he comes, he comes back to them. And again, he finds them sleeping. This time, I don't get the, I don't get the impression that he actually wakes them up because their, their eyes were just heavy and they're sleeping. Um, they... Uh, and the commentaries I read and I looked at it, they, they say that this is probably happening at sometime between like 2 and 5 a.m. in the morning. So he comes back to him the third time. He says, are you still sleeping and resting enough? Uh, the hour's come. And so here comes, here comes uh, Judas uh, with the, the other betrayers. 
Um, so it's interesting, like that late at night and not staying awake, like I'm sympathetic to him. So um, I have a little bit of a reputation in my family uh, for um, falling asleep on the couch uh, at the uh, uh, family gatherings and whatnot. I don't know, eating, probably eating too much food has something to do with that and getting together with family and, and taking naps. So uh, the other thing that I think is funny in my family, we have a little, a little tradition of uh, going on road trips and... Uh, uh, taking pictures of our kids uh, when they fall asleep. My daughter asked me um, uh, last week uh, when I could get her a cell phone. She's six. And uh, I said, well, it might be a while. And uh, uh, one reason might be that, uh, you know, I'm trying to measure the timing of which I uh, uh, let my daughter get exposed to social media and the internet, etc. cetera. Uh, the other side of that might be selfishly, I don't want her taking pictures of me when I fall asleep on the couch either. So I... <laughs> All that said, uh, I'm pretty sympathetic to uh, the plight of, the, of the, uh, the disciples who really don't understand what's going on and why it's so important to stay awake, uh, and uh, they're snoozing. And I think, it's, I think it's symbolic of the fact that uh, uh, our physical needs and our energy and our commitment um, to the work of the kingdom um, often become secondary to uh, to the needs of our of our body and our and our and ourself, uh, and maybe for innocent things like a nap. But I think it's trying to portray something bigger, more symbolic uh, through that. So, at this point uh, in the account, looking down in verses forty three, um, Jesus arrested. So it says this in verse forty four. Now the betrayer has arranged a signal for them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. Going at once to Jesus, Jesus said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. The men seized Jesus and arrested him. The one who was standing near drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. So here's the two arcs of the story, Jesus and Peter. Jesus is being arrested, betrayed with a kiss, uh, with the intimacy from his own, uh, one of his own disciples. Uh, and then uh, you have that story arc compared to Peter, uh, who instead um, draws out his sword and cuts off the ear uh, of one of the high priest's servants. Uh, and that's, uh, you can get that account in, in the other gospels that talk about the details. It's actually Peter. Uh, I think it's interesting that Mark doesn't actually uh, name him. Uh, I don't know if Peter's a little embarrassed by this and didn't want to share that detail with John Mark or if John Mark knew that. Uh, it's, it just, it's an interesting question. Um, so we have these two story arcs of Peter and Jesus going through this. So Peter's story in this, he comes into this account. He's confident that he'll never fall away. He goes as far as to say, even if I must die with you, I will never deny you. Jesus, on the other, sa- other side of the coin here, is not confident in himself alone. Peter wasn't troubled. In fact, he was ready to take a nap. Um, Jesus, on the other hand, was deeply distressed, very troubled. Um, his soul was overwhelmed. It says sorrow to the point of death. Peter, in this account, as he's facing this trial and these circumstances ahead of him that he's not even really fully aware of, it doesn't show him as being connected with God. He doesn't take the time um, to pray, whereas Jesus is intimately connected with with the Father, even referring to the Father uh, as Abba or Daddy. Um, So Peter couldn't stay awake. He didn't pray. Um, Jesus, in the middle of the night, uh, for up to three hours, uh, is deeply committed um, to prayer and connection to the Father. 
Uh, and it's interesting the outcomes and how different they are here. So we see Peter is ready to take his fight in the physical world, uh, literally uh, with a sword, uh, where Jesus is poised for the challenges ahead um, and is ready to make his fight in the spiritual realm uh, when he when moves forward. So Peter falls away in diversity uh, and Jesus is equipped in the trials um, ahead. So going back to the questions that Mark is, answer, is asking us, if you read the entire gospel, you'll see this uh, very clear. Again, it's who is Jesus and what kind of Messiah uh, is he? Um, so if you go back, um, Peter actually, uh, or Jesus actually asked uh, Peter this uh, directly in Mark chapter 8. He asked, who do you think I am? Uh, and uh, uh, Peter, Peter's figured it out. He says, Jesus, you're, you're the Messiah. And Jesus says, you're right. Let's keep that private for now. The time's not yet. Um, but then Jesus turns around and starts teaching the disciples uh, about what's going and the crowds about what's going to happen about this this whole idea that the Messiah is going to come and he's going to die uh, and Peter Peter doesn't want to hear it um, because that's not what he thinks the Messiah uh, should be uh, and it actually says Peter rebukes Jesus so uh, Jesus uh, turns around and looks at him and the disciples this is in Mark chapter 8 verse 33. And this is how he responds to them when 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 Peter um, says that uh, this isn't a good idea. He says, "Get behind me, Satan! Uh, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns." See, this is the challenge when asked what kind of Messiah that Peter wanted to see. Uh, it was a conquering king, not a suffering servant. And even all the way back in Mark chapter eight, weeks and weeks of time before, um, he still at this point, uh, now later in the in the gospel account, hadn't figured out what what Jesus's plan was and, and what he was up to. Uh, Peter pulled out a sword because he wanted a conquering king, a conquering Messiah that was going to free, free uh, the Jewish from the oppression uh, of the Romans. And is there anything wrong with that? Like, well, no. Uh, I mean, an oppressive government and wanting God to intervene with that. And you look at, at uh, the nation uh, of uh, Israel and uh, its, its cycle and its story in the Old Testament, like this is what God does. He sends, he works through uh, judges and kings uh, to deliver uh, Israel from oppression. And this is, this is what Peter expects and wants from uh, the Messiah to deliver uh, them from um, the Romans. So it's not, it's not a bad thing, but, but, but Jesus rebukes him really hard for it. He says to the point of calling him Satan. So in the story arc for Peter, this is a culmination of challenging um, him to answer the question, what kind of, of Messiah is Jesus going to be? Um, and and I, think, I think this is a question we have to ask, ask ourselves, like how God works and what he's up to and what he wants for us is often very different than what we want. We often want to be rescued from our circumstances. We want to find rest and peace and relief from our problems. Uh, and there's nothing I mean, wrong with that. I mean, his, his, his group of people were being oppressed by another nation. 
Uh, and it's not that God doesn't care about those circumstances uh, that, that we're in. And we find, uh, as Jesus is doing his ministry, that he's often just filled with compassion and stops to uh, meet the physical needs of the people, um, uh, heal the sick, uh, feed, feed the people uh, that he's with, uh, and, and, and et cetera, and so on. Um, but bigger picture, God has other priorities um, and that are, that are bigger. Uh, and his real priority in all of his ministry was to teach the people, not to necessarily uh, heal them from all their sicknesses. Uh, he was worried about uh, their hearts more than uh, their physical needs. So uh, Jesus isn't the savior of our circumstances. He's the savior of our whole being. He wants to restore us uh, as a whole. Um, I have a friend that I worked with uh, for, uh, gosh, the last 20 years, and he recently retired. His name's Robert. Uh, and uh, he had this uh, really exciting uh, plan after he retired. He was gonna go hike the Appalachian Trail. He went to school in Tennessee, um, and he was gonna go um, hike, the, hike, hike the AT. It's uh, two or 3,000 miles, and it takes on the order of like six months to complete it. It's a, it's a huge commitment. Uh, you have to, uh, uh, get into the details of how much you pack. Um, people cut their toothbrushes in half to save the weight from their toothbrushes uh, so they can keep their pack light uh, on the trail. Uh, huge commitment. So he's really excited about doing this. He'd been reading a lot of books, making preparations, and was super excited about it, retired. Uh, and God had a different plan for him after he retired. Shortly thereafter, his mom uh, became ill and he ended up spending time with her uh, to take care of her. Uh, and Robert had to go on a different kind of journey, not a physical one, um, but a spiritual one. Uh, he came to terms with the fact uh, that uh, he was an alcoholic and uh, uh, very sympathetic to that. Uh, that's a, it's a, a powerful force in someone's life uh, and uh, I have to be graceful towards it. Uh, I've had uh, family uh, in, the, in the same circumstances and, and seen uh, the impacts of addiction, uh, but uh, God wanted to deal with that. It was starting to have a toll on his relationships uh, in his life. And uh, when I got to touch base with Robert uh, a few months later, uh, he said, you know, I didn't go on the journey that I wanted to go on, but God took me on a different one. And it's been much more profound. Uh, and uh, he still would like to go on a big hike. He's changed his uh, sights to take a hike on the, the Camino de Santiago or the Way of St. James. It's a, it's a smaller, uh, but still 100, 100, multiple hundred mile hike uh, in Spain. And uh, it's meant as a spiritual uh, pilgrimage. Uh, and, it's, and it's interesting, I, I spoke to him last week and uh, he found out that he had uh, been diagnosed with uh, prostate cancer. He's not sure if he's gonna take this hike or not or what's gonna happen next. Uh, but uh, when I called him to ask him if I could talk about him uh, in the sermon, uh, he, he, uh, I caught him at the zoo uh, and uh, he had a uh, happy and content uh, sound in his voice hanging out with his grand grandkids. Uh, things aren't working out as he had planned for them to work out for him, but God is doing amazing things in his life and uh, I'm confident God will be with him uh, in the, the next journey and challenge ahead in his own story. So kind of wrapping things up here um, in, in life, God's concerns don't look like our concerns. What we want and what God wants 
um, can be very, very different. Uh, God's not concerned about the power of the government or its laws, but probably more the hearts of the people. Um, God's not concerned about our wealth, but instead uh, the richness of our character uh, and how that empowers us to live uh, in, in communion with him. Uh, God's not concerned about winning. Uh, he's more interested in humble submission. He's not concerned about uh, us being righteous on our own, but instead his righteousness in us. The reality is God's concerns uh, in his plan look a lot more like the cross than the sword. So I wanna challenge you this next week um, to ask yourself, like, what kind of Messiah are you seeking in your relationship with Jesus? Are you looking for God to save you from your circumstances? Uh, or are you looking for how um, you're going to partner along with uh, the plans of God and how he's gonna work in your life and through your life uh, in other people? Uh, and that second challenge is that, it's kind of reflecting on our current life circumstances and, and asking ourselves like, how is God calling us to let go of our human concerns and to instead replace them with God's concerns.